Welcome to the Imposture to Unstoppable podcast, where physicians can learn how to overcome imposter syndrome and create the career of their dreams. Hey, everyone. Are you aware that my next Women Physician Adventure Retreat is coming up March 11th through the 13th in Hilton Head at the Omni? And it is going to be such a great time. We are planning activities such as go-kart racing, maybe another zip lining event. There's a lot of opportunities in Hilton Head. So what the retreat will look like is a weekend full of mostly fun and connection, but also some really amazing lectures and group coaching opportunities for overcoming obstacles and limiting beliefs you have with the ultimate goal of you leaving with much more confidence in yourself as a physician and more boundaries so that you can really create exactly the career you want. And I know that seems like a lot to happen in one weekend, but trust me when I say that when we get together and are dedicated with over 48 hours of just focused on what we want and why, and we allow the right part of our brain to come out through fun, then it's incredible what can be done. So you can go and register at my website, which is consciousinmedicine.com forward slash retreat. I know that's a mouthful. So if you also click the link in the episode notes today, you can check that out and get registered. The weekend will include all the fun activities we do. So everything that is included in the price, as well as all the meals, including a themed dinner on Saturday. And it also will include CME. So if you have CME money that you want to spend, then this would qualify for that um, expense. So check out the website for more details. As always, reach out to me at kyates21 at gmail.com if you have questions. It is going to be such a blast and I cannot wait. If you are listening to this and it's before January 1st, then you can get registered for $500 off before the end of the year. So make sure to do that if you're if you know you're in and you want to pay even lower price. So check that out and then shoot me an email to let me know that you're in so that I cannot wait to get to know you in person. Have a great week. Dr. Tammy Berry, a former surgeon and internationally recognized stress resilience expert, helps professionals and leaders overcome burnout and transform stress into fuel for renewed energy, confidence, and joy. She is a burnout survivor and has dedicated her life to researching and pioneering a process for building stress resilience that allows you to transform high-level stress into a powerful force for lifelong achievement, fulfillment, and success. Hi, Tammy. Thank you for being here today. As Hi, Kristen. Ch- Happy to be here. <laughs> we, we've already chatted so much offline, and I said we need to get hit record because you're saying so many amazing things, and your and your story is so impactful. So, why don't you just take it away and start wherever you feel like is the most appropriate place to start, where it comes to your story and self doubt and imposter syndrome. Well, I think that first of all, we're we all have some of it. We all, mm-hmm. we are, and no matter how, where we get on the journey of sort of healing it or recovering from it, um, I don't think we ever get to the point where it's totally resolved. I think that we shift our relationship to what it means about us, which is really the victory. But I can go back to the time when it ruled my life. 
I mean, I remember the most doubt and imposter syndrome stuff that I ever had to deal with was really when I first started my surgical residency. And I would be driving to the hospital and I would literally be thinking, I'm going to show up and they're actually going to tell me we made a mistake. We, we didn't actually accept you to residency. <laughs> we were just kidding. You actually don't have any of the required skills that it takes to do this job. We really appreciate you, you know, for having shown up, but you can go home now. And, and I'm telling you, I had a version of that story going on in my head intermittently for the first six months mm-hmm. of my general surgery training. And And it would be these like, (laughs) these moments of relief when I would be, you know, your first year, you're not really in the operating room very much. You're, you're really like kind of running the floors and managing patients and yada, yada. And I remember having that moment where if I got a pat on the back, you know, for, it was like this monumental relief of okay, I am in the right place. Like I do Mm. belong here. Um, And I think, honestly, if we had had any conversation, I just think at the the level of medical education and graduate medical education, I love that these conversations are starting to be had earlier because it's something I think every professional deals with, right? That it's almost like the more you know, the less you think you know. Mm-hmm. And, and, and physicians are, you know, the most highly trained employees. Uh, you know, when we enter residency, we are so well trained. But w- in terms of intellect, but we are not given, I think, the proper tools to intelligently navigate feelings and emotions and mm-hmm. thoughts. And that skill set is just imperative. Mm-hmm. Just absolutely imperative. So yeah, I think that's where, you know, my self-doubt and my imposter syndrome really it it started from the jump. Like as soon as I graduated medical school and I was like actually responsible for thing for anything. <laughs> yeah. And there, I think there was that, yeah. That's a common time you know, any transition time is going to be when that sneaks in. And what's so fascinating, and I think it's worth worth highlighting, is when you said that I would get this pat on the back, I would feel this relief. But how our brains work is it's temporary. You know what I mean? Like it would last for some, maybe a few hours or minutes, maybe, you know what I mean? And then you would, your brain would be like, oh, they must have been feeling really nice that day or you know, who there's always, our brains can always excuse it away if the limiting belief is I don't belong. So it's so interesting. And I think this comes up all the time is that you can get all the external validation in the world, but the fact of the matter is it's never enough. And that's probably what happened with you. Like it was never like one day you just happened to have enough external validation to feel like you belonged. It was probably something more internal. Is that, is that true? Or <laughs> Well, absolutely. And I think you, you touch on something, you know, there's this natural, it's interesting how I've come full circle now that really, since I've learned how to regulate my own nervous system, particularly strengthening the parasympathetic nervous system, 
which then leads to the release of oxytocin and all of these other biochemicals that help us feel connected, like we belong. Mm -hmm. they, they, they become the biochemical signature of things like love and joy. And that we can actually engineer that internally. This is a skill that mm -hmm. we can practice. And, and, and I didn't know that, you know, when we, when we go back in time to where you're talking about, which is, you know, where, what do we do with that sense of not belonging? Mm -hmm. And, and I didn't know what to do with that feeling. I didn't yeah. know that that's a biochemical imprint that is being driven by belief systems that then influence my thoughts and my feelings and my emotions. And that that is actually a stress response. And that, that that stress itself can become slightly addictive because of the biochemicals that are released in that whole soup of stress, the adrenaline, the norepinephrine, the cortisol. And so, and, and it, and it can change what, so the body's always looking for homeostasis, right? Balance. Mm -hmm. But what's interesting about that phenomenon is that there's a set point. And when we're used to a certain set point of stress, I grew up in a rather stressful household growing up. And I didn't know at the time that that set point was, was a higher level of stress than was actually optimal for my well-being. Actually, you know, that that was running counter to me ever feeling belonging, that, that, that those levels of stress were separating, kept me so far from the parasympathetic state where belonging and connection and joy and love exist. So that's an important point, I think, to make. Mm -hmm. And what, unfortunately for me, my set point kept moving higher and higher that I just kept loading more and more stress, trying to, trying to find, like you were saying, there's not enough external validation in the world to fill that void, but that's what I chased incessantly. Mm -hmm. And so I would work harder and harder. I would take more and more call. I wanted to be the hero. I wanted to be the one that was on every committee. I wanted to be the one that was a real leader that people could rely on. And I was, I was, I, I was burning myself out and I was hitting this point where it was like, I, I can't keep this up, but I can't stop either. I didn't know. I, I didn't know that the mismatch was actually in my nervous system. And so I would escape. I would come home from work and I would drink wine. And I thought because it was nice wine that it was okay. <laughs> and um, eventually that turned into, into alcoholism, you know, that I was escaping that, I would drink and there, and there would be this effect where like, I could finally feel like I was calming down. I would feel confident. My imposter syndrome was gone as soon as I took that first sip of wine. I'm telling, like it was, mm -hmm. it made me feel somewhat invincible. And eventually I was taking on way too many things. And then I started hitting some depression, which I then covered up with amphetamines. And so before, you know, by the time I left medicine in 2013, I was abusing and dependent on self-medicating tactics to really numb myself from the things that I think that you speak of that are so important 
that if I had known how to deal with imposter syndrome and self-doubt and these neg and, and, and the whole constellation of stress-based thoughts, feelings, and emotions, maybe the trajectory would have been different. I'm, I actually don't have any regrets in the sense that I do believe that my, tra that my trajectory, my, my dance with alcoholism and drug addiction is what allowed me to see the window of stress as an addiction. Mm -hmm. you know, from this from this lens of having been there, done it, and having now come to the place where understanding that compassion is absolutely required. And for me, compassion means acceptance, kindness, and forgiveness. And when you know, we can't we really need all three levels of compassion. And I, you know, I love Gabor Mate's five levels of compassion too, which is, you know, helps us recognize that anything anybody else is going through, we're not that, we're not so separate from mm -hmm. other people's suffering that we're, it's all on a sliding scale, you know, that yeah. we're all, it's all interconnected. Yeah. And I think your story is, first of all, I mean, the bravery for you to come out and just talk about it and talk about things that so many physicians hide and shy and shy away from out of shame. And I think that for every single person who can come out and own that and, sh and own it with so much strength and vulnerability, I think it, it really like full body chills because it is like so clearly your purpose. And this is exactly the way that everything was meant to happen. And then to go on and change so many lives because of it and help so many people. So I'd love to for you to explain a little bit more of the nervous system dysregulation and like, how would my listeners know if they needed to do work? And I'm sure it's everybody, but like, what are some signs that would say, okay, this is something I need to focus on? Yeah. So nervous system dysregulation is actually more common than we think it is. And one symptom of that is one of the major symptoms of that is, is free floating anxiety, which is at truly epidemic proportions in the United States right now. And we can know that adults are generally too anxious and stressed when we look at the rates of anxiety in children. Right now, we, and this is a statistic from 2019, so it's got to be higher than this. Mm -hmm. But from a study that was done in 2019, we have 22% of children aged 13 to 18 with a diagnosable anxiety, oh. with anxiety so severe that it requires intervention or medication. What I know now about psychological development, development of the brain and the nervous system is that children require the nervous system of their parents to self-regulate. They don't, they don't have the capacity to self-regulate. Mm -hmm. And so that requires an integrated frontal lobe, an integrated cortex in order for one to be able to regulate one's emotions. So infants oftentimes, absolutely infants, up until the age of two, they have no skills for self-regulation they absolutely require, they, they basically borrow our nervous systems to regulate. And that, that interesting dynamic plays out until the age of, 
of 18, really, actually, if we look at the studies, it's 22 years old in women Mm. and 25 years old in men when our frontal lobes are fully developed, which is really interesting because many of us are actually hitting the wards of hospitals around Mm. that time. Yeah, exactly. Aren't being trained on how to properly self-regulate and we might be coming from homes or backgrounds that were void of it to begin with. So it's, so, so, but how do we know now, right? Like I'm an adult, I'm living my life. I would say if you have, there's a few things to look out for. If you feel so overwhelmed sometimes that you feel like you need to escape from your life, that is a sign that you have overwhelming levels of stress. If you have panic attacks, like, I mean, I've been in the emergency room thinking I was dying you know, like I'm talking about legit panic attacks, Mm -hmm. you have, you, you would benefit from self, self self-regulation skills to balance your nervous system because the nervous system is in total dysfunction at that point. Another one would be, um, kind of like this low grade insomnia, like you on a regular basis, are unable to calm yourself down to the point that you can get good sleep. That's a sign that the nervous system is in sympathetic overload, sympathetic overdrive. If you wake up in the morning after thinking you've slept for six to eight hours, like if you're actually getting enough sleep, so six, we need six, right? We like, we want to push the, I know we want to push it. Mm-hmm. We want to only have to need four or five, but no, you need <laughs> six to eight. If you're getting that window and you're waking up and you're feeling like you've been hit by a truck, you're hitting the point of exhaustion and your nervous system is actually depleted. Now you've been in sympathetic overdrive so long to the point that you're hitting um, like adrenal fatigue type stuff. That would, that definitely, that's a late stage point of sympathetic overdrive. So there are a few things, you know, there, there are a few things that can say, you know, that for, for a lot of us, it's, it's recognizing that we've been off. The, we, we all are reactive at a certain point, mm-hmm. right? We, we're all going to say things to our kids. We wish we had it. We're all going to react impatiently. Sometimes we're not fully present. Sometimes we're maybe less than our desirable selves in traffic. Like we, we're human. It's not about it's less about how we react to life and it's more about how long do we stay in that refractory period? How long are we swept up in the cascade of sympathetic drive? Mm -hmm. And when we can lessen that, when we can bring ourselves, when we've trained ourselves enough to bring ourselves back into nervous system balance, now we can regulate our emotions. We can, this alters how we think right? When we're in sympathetic drive, we become all of the metabolic resources of the brain move towards the brainstem, which is all about survival, which actually makes us really selfish. We become not, not selfish, like selfish in a way where we become very territorial. It becomes all about me. How am I going to get, how am I going to get through this? We become also very self-critical in that dynamic. And so just having the ability to shift out of that, to shift the metabolic activity out of the brainstem and into the cortex, which we can do when we, when we're able to become parasympathetic dominant for even as little as 30 seconds, Mm -hmm. 
Now we're working with the full cortex. Now we're working with the, the executive. I mean, that's, that's really the part of our brain that separates us from all other mammals. Yeah. It, 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 it really is, is important. So we want to be able to access it and not be swept. It, 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 you know, it's awareness is the greatest liberator. Yeah. So it sounds, so I'm just trying to put it all together and make yeah. sure I understand properly. So essentially it sounds like most doctors are functioning in this place of sympathetic overdrive or this you know, constant overwhelm anxiety, which basically cuts off the majority of our higher functioning brain for with the ability to really kind of think things through. And because that's kind of cut off from our awareness when we're in this survival mode, essentially, and then all we're thinking about are just these kind of primitive based thoughts, which are very self-critical instead of seeing a bigger picture. Absolutely. So what are some of the things that are like the easiest to do in order to kind of strengthen our parasympathetic nervous system? And I know this is probably a long discussion about and how you help people, but if there's like a few like easy things or things that help you like right, helped you right at the beginning to mm-hmm. kind of change this narrative for you. Yeah. I think quick, you know, sort of, I love quick wins. you like, like that's the best. Yeah. So the, the largest parasympathetic nerve in the body is the vagus nerve. And that can be activated really quickly through even the diaphragm. So just taking a belly breath, right? So a lot of us, when we take a breath, we're actually still moving our chest and that actually isn't working the vagus nerve. You, you can, you can sort of massage the vagus nerve by taking a deep breath through the abdomen, sort of pushing down on the diaphragm, kind of letting the belly billow out. And even just doing that real quickly, you could even do that just three times real deeply. And that massage of the vagus nerve would, would, would just bring you back so that you're not in this sympathetic spiral, Mm -hmm. right? And so breathing is really powerful. I want to make sure that everybody understands that it's got to be a belly breath. Um, Another thing is even like a a carotid massage on one side, not both, right? We can Mm -hmm. pass out if we do both sides, but you can activate the, the vagus nerve travels on either side of the carotid. And so just a gentle massage up here can kind of like bring things back. You can also access it through a gentle massage of the ear of the, of the lower lobe and into like right in the introitus of the, of the canal, just a gentle rub there can bring things back to homeostasis. Um, And so that becomes really important when, and then there's other breath work activities, you know, the benefit when you've been training your nervous system for even just 21 days, you can develop what's called coherence which means you've created a neural pattern, a neural feedback system in the nervous system and the body that brings you back into alignment in less than 30 seconds once you've trained yourself how to do this. And that that state of coherence alters the way that we think, yes, and it also alters the way that we perceive stress going forward. Mm. It It alters the way that we process emotions takes us out of this reactive phase and, and helps us actually open our capacity to experience positive emotion. 
along with negative emotions. Yeah. Right. Because we kind of we need our access to both. Mm-hmm. So it becomes really interesting. And the benefits of coherence are, you know, this, this is kind of a leading edge research topic right now that the benefits of, of heart brain coherence facilitate effective communication, relationship building, peak performance, recovery, um, everything that real, in my view, success is made from. Mm-hmm. I love your explanation of that. And what it sounds like to me and how, and how I kind of practice this, because I tend to be like, I have a lot of anxiety and I used to um, have panic attacks when I was younger. And it's the thing that's been most fundamentally changing for me is this non-attachment to anything. To, you, know what I'm, you know what I mean? Like I now I'll feel this anxiety in my body. I'll feel that my body is anxious. And I've been practicing this awareness for a long time. And so I used to make that feeling mean that there's something to be anxious about. And then I would find something because there's always something to be anxious about. Do you know what I mean? And now instead of doing that, I really am just not attached to making it mean anything about me, like who I am at my core, like my soul or whatever you want to, my spirit, however you want to say it. But now it's just, I just name it. Oh, this is anxiety. I'm feeling anxiety. And even something as simple as that is, has been so powerful for me because then it's just, it's, it's just with, I'm just naming it with love. I'm feeling like this is anxiety that I'm feeling right now. And just not making it, not, not attaching any meaning to it, but it sounds so simple, but it really can give you the tiniest separation between that feeling in your body. And then the spiral that can come after that when you would, you just separate yourself a little bit. Yeah. I mean, and you touch on kind of, you you said so much there. That's really important. (laughs) You know, you really did the ability to have awareness with kindness, right? the ability to stay curious about what's really going on here. The recognition, you know, I, I work with some Bon Buddhist practitioners and, and there's sort of three fundamental components of suffering that we perpetuate. And one is um, our attachment, which you, so you spoke about not being attached to it, which is our identity, right? You spoke about, um, recognizing that it's not who you are, right? Ignorance of self, mm-hmm. ignorance of who we really are is one of the greatest creators of suffering. So bravo mm-hmm. on recognizing that like you're <laughs> bigger than this event. Um, and the third one is aversion. And that's really been my sticky point. Mm-hmm. You know, like I spent a lot of time avoiding the fact that I even was anxious. Mm-hmm. Like the perfectionist in me was not willing to be anxious. You know, the perfectionist in me was not willing to entertain self-doubt mm-hmm. or imposter syndrome. Like these were going to be intolerable to my ego, my ego's perception of what perfectionism really was. So I think they're all really important. Recognizing like, where are we avoiding? And this is an interesting dynamic because I think stress, stress helps us avoid some of the issues that we want to mm. look at, you know, stress has an, an interesting biochemical cocktail that is a can be akin to being high with the adrenaline and the cortisol yeah. surges and things. So it's important for us to recognize where stress is going from this motivator to massive manipulator. And it's a it's a it's a thin line. It's a thin yeah. line. But we want to know how to navigate it. It's important. 
And I think this is a, in a particular challenge for physicians where stress is like a badge of honor. It's like, I have to be stressed or I'm not a good physician. And I think I talk to so many, I work with so many women physicians in particular who feel this way. It's mm-hmm. like, well, if I'm not stressed about something, then I might not do a good enough job. I won't be as diligent. So it's almost like we are so scared of what our, of what, we won't be good enough without the stress. And what I've come to find out is that it's so much better. Like I am so much better without it. And it really has like wearing this heavy cloak of, yeah, it's just like wearing a heavy cloak that's weighing you down and you think it's keeping you warm, but it's actually like stifling you. That's what I think about when I think about stress now. Yeah. And the repercussions are huge. Mm-hmm. The reper- To the physical body, to our mental body, to our emotional body, you know, the, the price we pay for that dynamic is significant. Mm-hmm. And we don't have to do like you were saying, we don't have to do it. And the benefits of it really is worth the work, you know, because the first step is being able to recognize when stress is kind of running the show. Mm. And then it's starting to work with repatterning it so that really stress can become our fuel for mm. living a life yeah. that is fulfilling and meaningful. And so recognizing when it's turned into a motivator is really where we get our power back because mm-hmm. that's when we can go, Oh, Oh, that's interesting. I went, I like, I took it that direction. Let me come back. Let me get coherent for a second and let me reframe what it is that I really want from this moment, situation, project, meeting, surgery, what have you connect to what it is that I really want and then show up as that person. Mm-hmm. That's what this is. This is, this is, we are so powerful. We get to become masters of our own neurophysiology so that we're not showing up frazzled, frenzied, overwhelmed, exhausted. That, that then has significant repercussions to our overall well-being physical, Mm -hmm. mental, emotional, spiritual, financial, all of it. And so it's, it's such a critical skill set. And it does have significant repercussions. You know, it's interesting when we when we look at stress, there's, there's also interesting phenomenon in the brain that um, the researcher Robert Ganser and his research lab have been exposing that when we're caught in chronic, sympathetic states, that the brain parenchyma, the microglial cells themselves start releasing prostaglandins. And nobody ever knew this before. Like we thought prostaglandins were a, were a process in the rest of the body. The fact that the brain, they're, they're releasing mediators of inflammation. Mm. Our stress is literally stressing our brains. And so further research in the realm of, I mean, this, this, this stuff is going to be really, I think the future of a whole lot because, because inflammation itself, this is the end point of stress, no matter Mm -hmm. what stress you're experiencing and your stress can be physical, mental, emotional. The end point is sympathetic activation that leads to inflammation. 
What we now know is that inflammation is the mediator for every disease process in the body. I do believe what we are going to discover is it's the stress that we've allowed this society to live with, to put up with, that is fueling our poor health. We are the one of the sickest nations in the world. We have some of the poorest, mortali poorest mortality numbers when it comes to women, particularly in the postpartum period. We do not support, we, we are a nation that has forgotten to support the well-being of its people and stress, inflammation, disease is our body's way of saying, you need to start giving a shit about mm -hmm. me. We, like, we're sick. We are really sick. But we don't have to stay that way. And I think every single person that does a little bit of this work to re-regulate their nervous systems and to and and literally pull themselves out of this stress-based mass consciousness that is pervading this nation right now, you liberate, you don't just liberate yourself and your family and your colleagues, you're liberating the consciousness of this country and this world. Like this is a game changer. Like this has become my mission in life because I believe so wholeheartedly that it is the great stress has become our greatest impediment to the health and well-being of us as people, families, communities, and nations, societies in the world. Uh, everything you're saying is literally I'm just like having like again these full body chills which just tells me like intuitively everything is, is so everything you're saying is so true and things that I think that we are starting to understand on small scales and um I just think you're incredible I love, love the work that you're doing and getting the, the message out there is is fantastic and I know that um you're going to be changing the culture of how we practice medicine and live our lives. So I appreciate you very much. Um, do you mind telling people where they can find you? Cause I'm sure they'll be wanting to know more. <laughs> yeah. Well, I absolutely love interacting with people on LinkedIn. Please come, come find me, join me. Let's have conversation. <laughs> I promise I won't be so intense. Um, <laughs> <laughs> or not, or maybe you or may, not, maybe or like that. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. It depends. <laughs> um, but otherwise you could, check out my website, which is drtammyberry.com. And it's just D-R-T-A-M-I-B-E-R-R-Y.com. Excellent. And I'll leave a link to that too. So you can just scroll on down and click it to find her. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Tammy. It was wonderful talking to you. Oh, thank you. Thank you for your work. You're doing such important things. Thank you for having me.